a lot of organizations are getting very overwhelmed with the amount of data that they have. And it actually can be paralyzing because you have so much data that you don't know what to do with it. And you don't actually know how to define the signal from the noise. We are living through a time of upheaval, uncertainty, and unprecedented moments. But wherever there's crisis, there's also opportunity. Where there are opportunities, there are moments for leaders to rise up and take a stand. Now, more than ever, we need champions who recognize the value of data wielded by those who understand the levity of its power. Today on Hidden in Plain Sight, we're talking to one of those leaders, Anika Gupta. Anika is the co-president of LiveRamp, a company she helped grow from its infancy as a software engineer in 2010 to the publicly traded behemoth it is today. In today's episode, you'll learn about how Anika got her start in the industry and how LiveRamp has evolved over the years. You'll hear about the lessons she's learned at LiveRamp, whether it's making two acquisitions at once, helping clients discover their dark data, she and her teams are tackling it all. LiveRamp is on a mission with a goal in mind to create a better and more open internet, one that includes helping, protecting, and maintaining freedom of speech. Today, we discuss that mission, culture, diversity, and opportunities for leaders who want to use data for good. Let's jump into everything in today's episode with Annika. This season of Hidden in Plain Sight is brought to you exclusively by our friends at Splunk, the data to everything platform. Splunk helps organizations worldwide turn data into doing. It's time for data to be more than a record of what happened. It's time to make things happen. Learn more at splunk.com or by clicking the link in our show notes. Annika, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. I am excited to talk to you today. And when you're meeting someone for the first time and they start to learn about your background, who you are, your role at LiveRamp, how do you usually introduce yourself and your work? Yeah, so I'm co-president at LiveRamp. I My official title is president and head of pre- products and platforms. So my teams include all of product, engineering, security, customer support, uh, innovation team, and an operational excellence team. So it really spans the gamut of ensuring that we're building, delivering, uh, and delighting our customers. And so you've worked at LiveRamp for a while now, and I'm curious to know how your career has changed and evolved over the years. So if you could take us back to maybe one of the uh, you know early moments when you joined, what led you to join and how did you get to where we're at now? Yeah, sure. So I actually just crossed my 10 year anniversary with LiveRamp a couple of weeks ago, which was shocking to me because yeah. thank you. It's it's gone by. In some ways, it's gone by so fast. And then sometimes it's felt like a lifetime. Uh, I started on the team as a software engineer right out of college. And when we were a startup, we were 25 or so people uh, and have been with the company and am now running a huge portion of the organization. We're a $400 million public company. Uh, and the, the journey that I've had throughout those years has just been such an incredible experience. I've had so many opportunities to, to grow in different ways, contribute to the business, and have seen this phenomenal growth uh, of our business and the growth that we've had with our customers as well. Uh, so in, the, in those early days, it was really interesting. When I joined, it was really before we had product market fit. 
So we were experimenting a lot with new products. We were trying to figure out what was going to stick, where we were where we were going to create value. We started in a space where we were at the intersection of data and technology, but we were saying what we were trying to figure out what's going to create the most value for customers, for our marketers uh, at this intersection. Uh, and today we've grown to a point where we are the data connectivity platform that enables marketers to really pull together a full understanding of who their customers are and leverage that information to create more customer-centric experiences. And all along the way, we've taken different steps to continue to expand and, and grow and, uh, and solve more interesting problems for our customers that are really standing in the way of them building customer-centric organizations. Sure. So if we go back to those early days where there were 25 people or so, the team struggling to find product market fit, are there any lessons from those early days that you still reflect on from time to time now? Yeah, I think the biggest lesson that I reflect on, ultimately, what I think led to LiveRamp's success and continued success, uh, even after those early days, was this notion of, of always swinging big and thinking about what is the next thing that we can do that's going to create a next big product that's really going to be a big swing for the business that could fundamentally change the trajectory of where LiveRamp is going and how much value we're creating for our different customers. And I think one thing that LiveRamp has always done really well is that We've had these, we've seen these big opportunities in front of us and we've invested and said, we're going to go all in on, on this new opportunity and we're not going to think incrementally, we're actually going to swing big, whether that means making a large product investment, whether that means tacking on an acquisition or two acquisitions in some cases at the same time, uh, we did that one, one time to accelerate the trajectory of our business. And I think Ultimately, that is something that has enabled us to be successful. And I think that mentality is something that I, we, we did maybe, I, I think we were intentional about it in the early days. Uh, it was part of our culture, but I didn't recognize the value of that mentality and approach uh, until now or, or until recently when I was like, wow, reflecting back on these past 10 years, how did we get to where we are today? And it was always by thinking, instead of thinking incrementally, thinking about what is that big swing that we can make? Sure. And when you're a small team or a group of people who are taking on these seemingly insurmountable challenges, uh, although sometimes they feel very, very doable, what moments do you feel were critical for building the culture? You know, you mentioned that time where you pursued two acquisitions at the same time. Yes. Were there any other experiences like that or maybe that one where you felt like, okay, this is what the culture needs to feel like when everyone's on the same page, um, working around the clock to accelerate something, or maybe just working within the clock, right? And taking time off, but still getting the big things done. Tell us a little bit about that and how you think about culture. The trajectory of our company has been really unique. We were a startup company. We were acquired by a much larger company called Axiom as part of their digital transformation. We grew and grew and grew as a division of, of that much larger public company. Then we ended up emerging as a standalone public company and divested the legacy assets of our parent company. And so we've been running as a standalone public company 
for since 2018. Uh, and along the way, we've made four or five different acquisitions. Uh, we've expanded our product line from being a one product company to a much fuller product portfolio that's solving a diverse set of problems for our customers. And so all of this has meant that there's been a huge amount of change that our company has had to go through. Not to mention all the change that's caused by actually scaling a business from zero to 400 million in the span of six or seven years. Sure. So what I think is really unique about the LiveRamp culture and one of the things that I value when we, we really cultivate is leaning into change whether that is doing two acquisition at the same time, whether that's restructuring our teams to go after a big opportunity, uh, whether it's spinning up new teams because we see a new product that we want to build. Uh, I, I think building a culture that is not just resilient to change, but thrives on change is something that we've done at LiveRamp. And I think that that manifests itself in the attitude that individuals have on the team of, trying to make whatever we're doing really successful, the attitude of leaders to help people through that change process. I mean, a big part of my job is making sure that I'm explaining the why of the changes that we're making. And we're always raising the bar higher and higher and saying, hey, if we wanna be a truly exceptional company, this is what it's gonna take. We're gonna to have to reinvent ourselves. We're gonna to have to do things differently than what the way that we've done them in the past. And I think that is a, a very critical part of our culture. It's what's shaped us and made us who we are today. And I think it's what's gonna carry us forward into the future as well. Sure. So when it comes to live ramp strategy and kind of where you're headed, there's some talk and uh, on your website, you refer to this as creating an open internet. So I would love to have you tell us a little bit about, you know, what do you mean by an open internet and how is LiveRamp thinking about helping to create that? It used to be that traditional media really controlled the conversation that was happening, the information that people got to ex exposed to. With the rise of the internet, now you can hear from a myriad of voices. A blogger can suddenly become a national sensation and have millions and millions of followers, um, but you focus in a really niche area. And when we think about supporting the open internet and, and the efforts that we're really focused on, it's, it's really how do we keep this flourishing set of voices? How do we protect uh, freedom of speech? How do we protect the diversity that we see on the internet when, uh, when today there's, a, there's huge pressures being put on this internet ecosystem by big tech companies who are taking more and more control of the conversation, who control the tools and technologies that are essentially impacting all of the content creators out there. And LiveRamp's approach uh, has really been to, to look at those content creators, look at those publishers and figure out how can we help them create lasting and sustaining business models so that we can protect these voices and so, so that we can protect the value that the internet has created for humanity. So how do we go about protecting and helping those voices, right? Because that's something that's at the forefront of so many of our minds right now. How do we keep freedom of speech and an active dialogue going during these times? So help us out with that and paint a picture of how we get there. Yeah. So a lot of publishers and content creators today, what they're struggling with, and this is both traditional media as well as all of these new kinds of content creators, whether it's bloggers, vloggers, uh, TikTok celebrities, uh, or, or anyone else, 
what they're really struggling with is what is the last, what is the sustaining business model that's going to enable them to continue to support their, their businesses and their content creation. And a lot of the changes that Google and Apple and Amazon and Facebook have made um, over the past couple of years, whether it's changes to the ways that content is surfaced within the browser, uh, whether it's changes to the way third-party cookies or um, other kinds of advertising IDs are handled within devices uh, and browsers, all of these things are creating a lot of upheaval in the business models of content creators. And so what we're seeing is that publishers are now having to change their business model. Some have leaned heavily into subscription models and that has been, it has mixed success. There's some some publishers that have been very successful with that and some publishers that frankly don't have that kind of relationship with their customer in order to build a, a subscription model. Um, and then there are so many ad supported models out there for, for many content creators. And those, those models are being threatened by the changes that big tech are making to the advertising ecosystem. So when we think about the role that we play for these content creators and publishers, we're looking at how do we enable publishers to create deeper relationships with their with their consumers? What is it? How can they use data to form the, their product strategy to better understand how to interact with their consumers and therefore create these lasting customer relationships? And at the same time, how do we enable the advertising ecosystem to thrive, to survive and thrive without relying on the technology and tools that Google and Apple and other device makers and browser makers have created? Because many of these companies are making changes that impact the entire advertising ecosystem. And so we're investing in solutions that enable the advertising ecosystem outside of big tech to flourish without having to be concerned about the changes that that these big technology companies are making. Completely agree. And I'm very excited about this mission, you know, more choices, more opportunity. So Annika, when you're thinking about the data behind delivering a better experience and helping keep the advertising ecosystem um, open, what are you thinking about? What type of data points are you looking at and how are you making decisions when it comes to uh, strategy at LiveRamp? Yeah, one of the things that we see with consumers and all of us that work at LiveRamp are consumers just as much as we are employees of the company. Uh, when I think of myself as a consumer, the kinds of experiences that I value are personalized experiences. I want the content that I'm seeing to be personalized to me. I don't have a lot of time. I'm looking for things that are going to, I don't want to have to go searching for the solutions. I don't want the ads that I see to be intrusive um, in, in whatever I am trying to get done or what, whatever outcome I'm looking for. I want them to be integrated into the experience. And so when we think about what we are doing at LiveRamp, even though we are not a consumer facing company, we always put the consumer at the center 
of our approach. So we're thinking about things from, hey, how do we enable all these businesses to better interact with consumers? How do we enable them, the businesses that we work with, whether it's a, a retailer or a financial services company, a publisher, how do we enable them to have a better understanding of their customer, unlock the value of data within their enterprises to actually create customer-centric experiences, whether that's an ad experience, whether that means personalizing the content of the website or recommendations that are showing up on your website, uh, whether it's understanding more about the customer when they call into your call center to get support or when they walk into your store um, to buy a product or to view products. There's all of these different experiences that, uh, that companies are having with their customers. And each one of those, you have an opportunity to surprise, to delight, and to personalize that experience. And and what LiveRamp is doing, and when we think about our strategy, we're thinking about, okay, how can we enable these companies to unlock their data to deliver on these experiences? Sure. And so when it comes to unlocking data, a lot of us might think about security and privacy. So how do you walk that fine line of enabling your clients and focusing on the customer, but at the same time, you know, respecting security and privacy? So when we think about privacy, we're really thinking about what data is being collected about a person? What permissions has that person given uh, for how that data can be, what data can be collected and how that data can be used? When we're thinking about security, we're thinking about how, like who has access to that data and what can they do with that data? And so security and privacy in our mind go hand in hand. We're trying to solve for both because when we're working with organizations, we're enabling them to create a trusted relationship with, with consumers. And we're also enabling them to protect themselves from taking unnecessary risk with the data, because we know that there have been many very public data breaches um, in the past couple of years. And data is becoming, not only that, data is becoming the lifeline for many organizations. It's becoming one of their most valuable assets. Our approach to security and privacy is to embed it in the very foundational architecture of our products. It's to uh, really design with privacy and security at the forefront when we're designing a process, when we're designing a piece of technology, when we're thinking about how we sell to our customers, we're always keeping that security and privacy, those practices and the language um, at, the, at the forefront of how we talk about our products and how we build our products, because we know that Without that, there's no way that our customers are going to have trust in us and their customers are going to have trust in them. Right. So for listeners of the show, you're familiar with the idea of data for good. Uh, tell us a little bit about this movement and how you think about ensuring that data, which is becoming you know, increasingly valuable and a hotly uh, debated topic, you know, how do we ensure that data is used for good and used to serve and not hurt? It's something that is really important for LiveRamp. It's an area that we've invested a lot, more, a lot of time and energy in the past couple of years in creating this data for good initiative, which is centered around the belief that data can really help address humanitarian issues like poverty, systemic inequality, lack of access to uh, health, pro proper health care or education, or even Big, bigger picture things like environmental challenges. Uh, so we launched Data for Good a couple of years ago. And what we're focused on is partnering with both public and private entities 
to figure out ways that we can unlock data to, uh, to solve some of these really big problems. In many cases, LiveRamp is giving, we're giving our services away for free, or we're even finding partners who will partner with us to give multiple services away for free or at a reduced cost um, to enable solutions that solve the problems around bias and data, because we know that bias and data has a really large impact, especially to underrepresented minorities, communities of color, uh, people from lower socioeconomic statuses. We want to help solve this problem by bringing together many different participants from across the ecosystem to provide data, to provide technology expertise um, that unlocks the ability for data to be used in, in new and different ways. And I think like one of the, the great examples is the work that we're doing with Public Democracy. And Public Democracy is a group that uh, is, is really focused on how to use data to support veterans with severe PTSD or help people that are in the earliest stages of opioid addiction or figure out how to invest in low-income rural communities and figure out what are the things that, where, where are the right places to invest in those communities to actually bring about the right, the good positive outcomes. And what we're doing with them is really partnering with them to bring their data to market, to use that data in conjunction with other partners to launch initiatives, to launch messaging um, that's really going to resonate with many, a much larger group of people than, than traditionally what's targeted. I mean, what you see today is that in, in typical advertising, the, the group of people that's, that are typically targeted are people that are high income from you know, urban areas. And, and a lot of the marketing dollars and marketing energy goes towards that group. But there's so many underrepresented communities where they don't even know about the services that are available to help them. And through public democracy and some of our other partnerships, we're making it possible to get the right message out to these specific groups so that they know about the services that are available to them that can help propel them forward and, and help them, like whether they're facing uh, a really devastating health uh, situation, um, they're facing um, economic crisis given like what's happening with COVID right now, um, all of these things. And, and so uh, we're really excited about the work that we're doing here because it's really unlocking opportunities for a part of the population that typically isn't getting the attention that a more wealthy part of the population usually gets. Sure. And I think all of us can remember a time where getting the right information, the right uh, data backed points at the right time would mean a very different trajectory yes. for us, right? Like we we all can think of a time where that information could have radically shifted our trajectories. So are there any specific examples? You mentioned a couple. Could we dive a little bit deeper into them? And could you give us a taste of how LiveRamp facilitates this experience and how a client might use it to help? Yeah, I'll give you a really topical, uh, a topical one related to COVID. So when, uh, in, at the beginning of March, when COVID was really hitting the U.S. and everyone was trying to figure out how to react, uh, LiveRamp did a partnership with a company called DN, DMD. 
to enable healthcare companies to use our product to help recruit healthcare workers to telehealth platforms. Because you know, previous to, to 2020, telehealth platforms have had pretty low adoption. But as soon as we all went into quarantine and various lockdowns in different areas, suddenly if you needed to go go into the doctor to see them about a medical issue, maybe you feel you weren't comfortable going into the actual office, or maybe the doctor wasn't in the office either. And so telehealth platforms have started to become more and more important to the actual delivery of healthcare nationwide. And uh, and, and one of the, the challenges with, with telehealth platforms is you need to actually get healthcare workers using those platforms. And once you get healthcare workers using those platforms, you need to let patients know that that they can reach healthcare providers through these platforms. So what Librand did is we worked with uh, DMD to basically identify who the healthcare workers and target them with specific messages about signing up for telehealth platforms. And then in turn, we also helped identify patients um, that could be good candidates for for using telehealth platforms and getting the message out to to that population as well. Sure. And... So there's obviously an explosion of data that's happening around us. And a lot of that data is in industry parlance referred to as dark data. Companies aren't really getting value from it. Sometimes they don't even realize they're collecting it. How, as an organization, are you thinking about finding new data sets, looking at data in new ways, and starting to get signal from data that has otherwise just been dormant or dark? Yeah, it's it's really it's a really interesting challenge because we work with so many different types of companies to help them with their data strategies. And one of the things that we often do at the beginning of an engagement with any kind of company we're working with is to help them do a data inventory of understanding like what all what kind of data do they have available to them. And it's not surprising to me anymore, but at the beginning it was, how many organizations didn't realize the breadth of data that they actually had. And sometimes they didn't realize that because the data was being collected by many different pieces that like functions within the organization. Um, Often it's difficult because if you're a big company, like a big US retailer or a big financial services company, you have hundreds of different systems that are touching customer data. So you might be collecting different kinds of data in different systems. And so it makes it incredibly difficult to understand what's all the data that you have and what can you do with it? Uh, so, so often what we do is we work with our, our, our customers to conduct data inventories and understand what data they actually have and then figure out ways to actually use that data. And sometimes customers will actually decide that, hey, you know, I didn't even realize I was collecting this data and this isn't data that I actually need. So maybe I should stop collecting it because I think you know, a lot of organizations are getting very overwhelmed with the amount of data that they have. And it actually can be paralyzing because you don't you have so much data that you don't know what to do with it and you don't actually know how to find the signal from the noise define the signal from the noise and that's a really tough problem and a lot of times like we take a very practical approach when we're working with our customers we are we really ask them hey what are the outcomes that you want to drive and then let's work backwards uh, through your data strategy and data inventory to understand what data you have and how that data can be used to drive those outcomes. And let's also, in the process, work on making sure that you've collected the right consumer consent around how that data is going to be used to drive those outcomes. And so through these conversations and, and through our technology, we're able to enable companies to 
be a lot more thoughtful about their data strategies and only collect the data that they actually need to use um, to drive particular outcomes. Right. And I imagine it's the thing that feels overwhelming until you do it and have a system in place and start to get some value from it. And when you get to that place of getting value from it, um, walk us through some of the conversations that might have to happen first in order to get executive buy-in or get consensus that this is valuable. We need to take a better look at our data. Um, What type of conversations do you have with clients, with potential clients, or just in the industry uh, that you find have to happen first before uh, groups get value from their data? I think it's really going back to this concept of defining the objective. So often when I'm talking to companies, they they have a few different kinds of objectives that may be what's spurring the conversation to begin with. One of their objectives may be, hey, you know, we just hired a chief digital officer. We're trying to create, we're trying to do like a big digital transformation project uh, across our entire business. And often the first question I'll ask is, okay, what does that mean to you? What are you trying to get out of that digital transformation? And the two common themes are, we're trying to build a more customer-centric organization, and we're trying to make more data-driven decisions across every aspect of our business. And so once we start getting into those kinds of conversations, then we can start breaking down, okay, we want to build a more customer-centric organization. What kinds of, of metrics or programs or use cases are you focused on first? Is it your website? Is it your in-store experience? Is it uh, you feel like you're spending too much on marketing and you don't know what the ROI is? And, and different companies are going to have different priorities in terms of like what's their starting use case. Uh, but I think it's really important to always figure out a starting use case and then expand from there. Cause otherwise the problems can seem overwhelming and the amount of change that you have to do can feel overwhelming. So you want to get some kind of success with an initial set of use cases and then grow from there. And a, a big part of what I do in engaging with our customers is helping find those, those initial sets of use cases. Or once those use cases are identified and we're starting to see some initial success, helping them brainstorm what else can we do? Where, where else could we go? And, and starting to work with them and saying, hey, this is what we're seeing from other customers. Here are some of the other kinds of problems that you could solve. Is this a top priority for you? And trying to match their organizational tr- uh, priorities to how data can help them achieve those organizational priorities. Sure. And when it comes to your personal philosophies around technology and data, I'd be very curious to know, what type of radical beliefs do you have or any type of contrarian viewpoints that you that you hold? If you're willing to share any of those, I would love to discuss them with you. It's It's been fun on the show to talk to different technology execs and futurists and historians and, and everyone and just try to zero in on what they believe that uh, kind of ruffles some feathers in their industry. This is about both data and AI. When I think about, if I look at computers today and if we look at AI today, um, they're very good at creating models based on a lot of input data and sorting through that and being able to say that, okay, now that they've sorted through all this data, they can recognize that a picture of a cat is a cat. If you look at how the human brain works, when we're out walking outside and we're so fast at immediately being able to recognize a familiar face, 
And the way that we're doing that is through is is through a different mechanic than the way that AI is built today. The human brain is much more associative, and the way you know, I always find it fascinating when I can't remember someone's name, and then I sit there, and five minutes later, I'm like miraculously able to pull up their name again. Well, that's something that computers can't do. They either can like find they either know the name or they don't know the name, and and humans are so different than that. And I, I guess my radical belief is that I think we're going to. I think there's going to be significant breakthroughs in the way that AI, as we understand more about the human brain, that we will be able to design AI that's that actually has the associative thinking that uh, the human brain does, and that will fundamentally change the way that we view data. And ultimately, what that could lead to is that we may not actually need as much data in order to find the signal. We might actually be able to find the signal much faster without having to 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 hoard the treasure troves of data that we have to hoard today. Fascinating. And these are the type of conversations that I enjoy having. And I'm sure that you have, as you are getting on Zoom meetings and interacting with other folks in the industry, uh, when it comes to that type of interaction, obviously we're limited with what's going on with the pandemic. How are you staying sharp as a leader and how are you going about building your learning routine in the post-pandemic world? Are you a member of any executive groups? Are you, do you have, you know, a personal board of directors? Do you rely on your real board of directors? What's that process like for you? Yeah, it's definitely all of the above. I mean, one thing that has made it harder in the pandemic is obviously we can't be in person with each other. One thing that's been easier in the pandemic, it's actually much easier to get someone on the phone. And I know it's even easier for people to get me on the phone because I'm not on a plane every week, uh, traveling to many different cities, I'm, I'm at home. And yeah, yeah. and so I, uh, I, what has been nice is it's actually given me the opportunity to connect with more people, maybe people I already had in my network. It's allowed me to lean on. Uh, and, and I think everyone right now is going through so much change and is trying to navigate this whole new world. And what does it mean to be a leader in COVID? And how do you deal with the, all of the uncertainty? that there's an easy way to connect with people because we're all going through a unique but shared experience right now. And so given that I'm not on a plane all the time and I have more time for phone calls, I really do set aside time every week to have interesting conversations and reach out to people in my network and, and talk to them about different ideas. I'm on the I, the board of the IAB, um, and that's a really interesting group of people that are all thinking about what is the future of advertising look like and how do we support publishers with all the industry and regulatory changes going on. Um, I'm in various like kind of leader groups that are, are kind of different, but supported by different organizations. Um, I have spent my entire life in the Bay Area. I have a really big network in the Bay Area, and I've been able to reach out to a lot of people in my network and even get introduced to more people um, that have provided me new and, and different perspectives. I really love meeting people and talking to people. So it's been, well, COVID has been really hard because I feel very isolated at, in my home by myself. But I, it's also been, it, there's also been these opportunities to create new connections. And, and that has really helped me continue my learning and evolving the way that I think about some of these really big problems um, and evolve just how I'm, I'm leading my teams. Right. And what you alluded to about this being the first time that we've had this shared experience where Team Human has gone through something that we can all relate to 
it's uh, it's very exciting, right? Like the pandemic yeah. is horrible and there's horrible social unrest going on. But at the same time, we're all going through this together and there are new opportunities to collaborate and come out of this stronger. So when it comes to coming out of this stronger, uh, what type of change are you seeing? What type of are you hearing optimism in the voices of other leaders? Uh, are you seeing other leaders doubling down on investments? Or is there still a lot of fear out there right now? I mean, obviously there's still fear, yeah. um, but are you seeing any signs of renewed corporate investment or you know, people that are still willing to take those big swings that you mentioned? Yes, I think that anytime there's a major change, it opens up opportunities for for people to approach the the same problems that have existed for a long time in a completely different way. And the one that I'm actually the most excited about and that there's so much energy around is really a different approach to diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, Of course, this was elevated to the center of everyone's attention uh, with George Floyd's murder and the social unrest that came about after that. And I think what I'm seeing that's really exciting is a completely different approach to tackling issues that have been that have been known to be systemic in nature and very embedded in the system but there's a whole new recognition of that and there seems to be i mean i know at, at live ramp we already had a lot of diversity inclusion belonging initiatives and now we've been able to really turbocharge that because of the the grassroots within the organization the swelling of support and the swelling of people wanting to say hey i want to do things differently and then from a leadership level we've really leaned in and said we've got to think about this differently we've got to be bolder in our approach to how do we recruit and retain great great diverse talent into our workforce where are we looking for this talent where are we hiring people i mean the move to remote to to everyone being remote open is opening everyone's eyes to the fact that well you don't need everyone in san francisco and new york in order to make to build a successful company you can hire anywhere and make people successful and that opens up like a whole new pool of candidates um, and and pool of talent that I don't think people were really thinking about before. And that creates new opportunity. And then at the same time, we have to look at our products um, and how are we building our products to be inclusive? What's the terminology that we're using? Are we inadvertently doing things or setting things up or building our products in a way that don't make them accessible and usable to all people. Um, and, And then looking at, okay, we're a business within a broader community. And I think that feeling of we're part of a community. That's a huge, that's a huge mindset shift that's, that's occurred because of COVID and everyone's starting to think about, okay, well, I need to be contributing back in a positive way. I need to be setting a good example and I need to actually be not just focused on my top line and bottom line, but focused on what is the broader impact that I'm having in the world. Couldn't agree more. Annika, thank you for being generous with your time today. I was hoping to dive into two more questions here and The first is that the name of the show is obviously Hidden in Plain Sight, and we're particularly interested in uncovering some opportunities or maybe even secrets that are hidden in plain sight. So we talked a little bit about some radical beliefs Mm -hmm. that you had, but I'm curious if there are any other opportunities out there that you feel like are obvious for you, but maybe not obvious for the audience. Anything else out there that's hidden in plain sight that you're thinking about? Yeah, I'll go back to what I was talking about regarding diversity and inclusion. I think what I hear from business leaders often is that good talent is really hard to find. 
And my challenge to that is that I don't think that there's a lack of good talent. I think that most companies and most people don't know how to look at talent more broadly and look at the, the fact that we have all of these people in the world um, and in the U.S. that have different educational backgrounds, um, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and maybe they haven't been given the opportunity to flourish and succeed, but they are good talent and you can train them and you can um, invest in them and you can find all this good talent that is, that is unrecognized today. Um, so the big thing that I think is hidden in plain sight uh, is, is talent. I think that we have so many great people in the world and, and unfortunately opportunity has been limited to a select few that come from high socioeconomic status and have been given these opportunities to thrive and succeed. And I challenge leaders to really question whether there's really a lack of good talent or whether they just don't know exactly where and how to look for and identify that great talent. Wise words. And final question, it can be dark at times out there, especially if you're looking at what's going on in the world through the eyes of the news or anyone that's kind of from a fear-based standpoint, it's very, very hard to stay optimistic and remember what's important. How do you stay grounded and really focused on the things in life that are most important? I think two things really. Uh, One is really focusing on what to be grateful for. Uh, I feel incredibly appreciative of the fact that I have food security, I have financial security, that I've been able to spend so much more time with family uh, during this time because I haven't been traveling and I haven't been seeing anyone else or seeing friends. And so when I get down about things, and it's so easy to get down because, as you said, there are so many things that are very dark about what's happening in in the nation and our world today. I really focus back on the things that I'm grateful for and the things that I have and really making sure that I'm directing my time and energy to being with my family and and having that quality time as opposed to getting too spun, wound up about all the things that are happening in the world. Wonderful answer. And thank you again for joining us, Anika, and to everyone listening. We will see you next time. I'm Sophia Bush, and you've been listening to Hidden in Plain Sight from Mission.org. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Splunk, the Data to Everything platform. In today's data-driven world, every company, big or small, new or old, is sitting on terabytes of unused, untapped, and unknown data. Splunk helps turn all that data into action. Using cutting-edge AI and machine learning, Splunk delivers real-time predictive insights that will help you on your mission to change the world. With solutions for IT, security, Internet of Things, and business operations, Splunk empowers people to make faster, better decisions and take action to get things done. It's time for our data to be more than a record of what happened. It's time to make things happen. Check it out at Splunk.com.